0: Hi everyone, just want to extend a warm welcome uh, to you um, that uh, Declan offered uh, to you earlier. Um, It's good that uh, we can be together. Sorry, as I fix up the microphone. Um, It's good that we can uh, look at uh, this part of God's Word together and explore the topic of uh, freedom. Uh, Are you longing for freedom? Uh, In many ways, the last 200 years could be described as the age of freedom because there have been numerous uh, political revolutions through that time all seeking freedom. Think of the French Revolution where they removed their king, uh, deposed the aristocracy, set up a republic with the motto of uh, liberty, equality, fraternity or death. Uh, we often forget that last one. And we think of Braveheart, Braveheart as he cries out, "You know, they can take our lives but they can never take our freedom. There have been Marxist and socialist revolutions as well all over uh, the world in in all the continents, I think. Uh, We've uh, seen the abolition of slavery also in the West. Uh, In South Africa recently there's been the removal of uh, apartheid. And most recently there's been um, what was described as the Arab Spring. People are wanting to throw off the shackles of entitled rulers and authoritarian establishments and antiquated modes of thinking uh, that divided and oppressed. They want to be free of oppression and just live in freedom. In the West, uh, the push for freedom has become far more individualistic, particularly in the last 50 years or so. Our thinking on freedom, uh, I think these days, tend to put more personal weight on personal freedom, personal Autonomy than on societal uh, freedoms. Not that we don't think about that, but it's just more weight, far more weight is given to the personal self. Um, and we could really see this shift in the 60s and 70s uh, with the sexual and the cultural revolutions that led to shifting moral values uh, and far greater sexual permissiveness that continues uh, in the line of progress, as it's called, uh, to this very day. In one sense, we're children uh, of these revolutions of freedom. We've inherited the freedoms that have been gained and it spurs us on to yet more freedom so that when we see oppression, we rally against it. Um, um, uh, when I hear the Rolling Stones freedom anthems of the 60s, I'm free to do what I want. Any old time? Anyone know that song? Uh, no? <laughs> That's way before my time. Um, LAUGHTER I had to Google it. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, uh, but I have actually heard it. In fact, in the 90s, there was a repeat of it. That's before your time, I realized. But uh, there was a, a rehash of it by the Soup Dragons, I think they were called. Um, and when I heard that in the 90s, I was at uni at the time, I, I thought, yes, I am free. That's me. But on the other hand, I'm not really that free to do what I want, when I want, how I want, any old time. It it doesn't work that way. I mean, can anybody say that they are that free? We still live with constraints from without and from within. And so I resonate more, I hope you've heard this one, uh, when Queen sings, um, I want to break free, uh, Freddie Mercury's uh, famous song. Um, My desire for freedom, you see, remains um, unfulfilled. Um, And I think I can say at least with full confidence that everyone here has a strong desire to be truly free, really free. After all, who wants to be oppressed? Who wants to be a slave? Uh, Anyone in their right mind would want to be free. Now, the passage we read out earlier tells us in John 8.36 that Jesus is offering us uh, freedom. You'll be free indeed. He offers true freedom real freedom. And today I want you all to, well, investigate Jesus. I would love it if you actually went to Jesus to seek out the true freedom that he actually offers. Um, That's the aim that I have in a nutshell. Now, I'm not expecting you really to to simply believe me and I don't uh, think I can do the topic uh, justice uh, in the short time that we have together. But what I hope that you will at least uh, get out of our time together is to consider the claims of Jesus and investigate him as to as to least find out whether uh, what he is offering is really true or not, because Jesus makes some huge claims here that are very hard to ignore. They are massive claims. Uh, you can see these uh, massive claims in John uh, chapter eight if you um, have it open before you. Um, there's two actually that come really out in the. Um, in this passage, in verse 51, a bit after the passage that we read earlier to us, but it's scattered right throughout the whole uh, passage. He says, "Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Will never see death. If you obey Jesus' words, if you keep His words, as the original says, then you will never see death. And he insists on it. I'm telling you the truth." The second is just as huge, which is that promise to set us free. In in verse 36 that we had uh, read, truly free. Now, I hope it's obvious to you that people don't normally walk around and make these kinds of claims, do they? Uh, Have you ever come across anyone uh, that made these kinds of claims? I mean, at least outside of the mental institution. Uh, because you know, if I suddenly got up here in front of you and started to make those claims that if you if you listen to me, if you came to me, I can give you well eternal life, and I can set you free you kind of you 'd be looking, what are you talking about? Who do you think you are well that 's exactly the kind of way that it took place this conversation took place while well, all the way back in John uh, chapter eight. Um, there's a dialogue that goes on here where Jesus makes a claim and then the Jews respond by questioning him and with, with great scepticism as to whether what he's saying is actually true or not. And so they, they make cu- counter-arguments to kind of say, how can you even possibly say that? And, and on and on the conversation goes. It runs for about 50-odd verses. Now, lots of people think that the people back in Jesus' day were just simply gullible, uh, but they weren't. Uh, John's Gospel records many objections and questions that were often thrown to the very outlandish claims that Jesus makes uh, right throughout it. But there's two big questions that form the basis of people's objections, really, to what Jesus has to say. Um, And the first one, basically, uh, is given for us at the end of verse uh, 53, especially after he says, uh, no one will see death. Uh, They say, who do you think you are? And you can also kind of see it in the beginning uh, in verse 25. Who are you to make such claims? Because he's saying some outlandish things to be the giver of life, eternal life, so that people will never see death. I mean, who can do that? Who do you think you are, Jesus? God or something? And the second big issue that the Jews uh, take with Jesus is the question of what are you saying about us? Uh, This really relates to the question that uh, Jesus, or the statement that Jesus makes about uh, setting people free. What are you saying about us then? Are we not free, that we are slaves? We don't like where you're going with this, Jesus, what you're implying about us here. Now what's interesting about this passage that we just read out is that it is directed to those who have believed in Jesus, in his ability to give life at least you can see that in verse 31. Uh, He says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. All it serves to do, uh, as we read through, is to turn off these believers even more. I mean, the the following was being whittled down and then this goes through another whittling down process as as we go through the dialogue. Um, And I've no doubt uh, that some people here will also be turned off because Jesus does seem quite offensive here. But Jesus isn't interested in winning popularity contests. He wasn't back then. He still isn't now. He is interested in true believers, uh, quality, not quantity. What Jesus claims uh, here in John 8, verse 31 to, to 36, that by holding on to his teaching about himself, Um, It will provide you with true knowledge and that knowledge will set you free. Now, the people respond in verse 33 to this. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Uh, How can you say uh, that we will be be set free? Now, it's true, isn't it? They were Abraham's children um, and God had promised them uh, lots. But the bizarre thing about this statement is that it's, it's just absolutely absurd. Uh, There was hardly a nation that existed that hadn't oppressed them and kept them slaves at one time or another in their history. The Philistines had uh, repeatedly, uh, you you see that in the Old Testament stories in the Judges. Uh, The Assyrians uh, conquered them and took them into great slavery. The Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Ptolemies. and, And as they were saying this thing, uh, probably a Roman banner was flying above their he- heads flapping in the wind, uh, shouting out to everyone there that they were under the thumb of the Romans. They were not free. How absurd a claim uh, that they had made. And they'd basically forgotten their National Independence Day, the Passover that celebrated uh, uh, they celebrated every year when they remembered that they were once slaves in Egypt. Uh, not just Uh, under the thumb, but they were into forced labour before God sent Moses to them to free them from slavery and bring them out into the freedom of the promised land. I mean, it is a bizarre claim uh, that they are making. And I think uh, that can be true of lots of people uh, today. They don't recognise the kind of uh, enslavement they can be in. You you talk to some drug addicts and they want to say that uh, they're not slaves at all, they're free. But the kind of freedom and the slavery that Jesus is talking about here isn't uh, political subjugation or uh, uh, oppression-enforced slavery of individuals. Now, the Bible makes the claim that freedom uh, from both these kinds of slavery are actually desirable, and and if attainable, you should pursue it and seek to get your freedom from these things. But they really are nothing, and this is the point the Bible makes, they are nothing in comparison to the far greater freedom that Jesus himself offers to us, And the catastrophic slavery that Jesus is talking about uh, in these verses. What's he talking about? What kind of slavery? Verse 34. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is talking about the slavery to sin which he claims that we all are in. For he says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And you need to ask yourself the question. Do you sin? The Bible tells us, um, if in case you're wondering, everybody sins. It's a universal thing. So Jesus' point here is that every single human being on the face of the earth is a slave to sin. That is, we don't control our desires. Uh, there are things uh, that we all do that we don't want to do, and there are things that we do want to do that we find that we don't want to uh, that we don't do. Um, that's a human, uh, universal human experience, right there. Now, if you have any doubts about this, then let's just take the simple example of lying. I think everybody in the world knows that it's wrong uh, to lie, and the world would be a much better place uh, if we didn't lie. Uh, the only people who would tell you that lying is okay are liars, but I wouldn't want to trust them anyway, so don't believe them. They're liars. Um, uh, the question is, have you lied? I was going to get you to raise your hands and give an affirmation if you've never lied, uh, um, but I won't do that because then I probably wouldn't trust you anyway, um, and I'd probably call you out as a liar. Um, I was actually once trying to convince a man about this point uh, who was investigating Christianity with me at the time and he didn't believe Jesus when he said here that he was a slave to sin. Uh, He thought that he could control it, so I challenged him. I said to him, well, let's just take one example. Jesus talks about lying later on in the passage. Why don't we just start with that, lying. For the next week, until we meet again next week for our hour together, why don't you um, try to spend the whole week just concentrating on not lying and see if you can go about not lying. And he was nodding as I was saying this, only for him to suddenly look at me with this dead set seriousness and say to me, No, I can't do that. I said, Why not? And he said, Because my job is sales. <laughs> and I, I would lose my job. <laughs> and <laughs> that led to a whole series of other. Anyway, we, we got onto another, another sin. He came back the next week and he was persuaded uh, that he couldn't control uh, his problem with sin. Another friend said to me when he failed the challenge, doesn't mean that I'm a slave, he said, I lie because I choose to lie. That's what he said, Uh, which is a funny kind of freedom because I pointed out to him, well, a slave can choose to obey their master. Uh, What a slave can't do is refuse to obey their master. I mean, they may do it for a bit of time, but eventually... Slavery means that you have to yield. That's the nature of slavery. It's not about whether you choose to or not. Your choices are limited there. Jesus tells us that we are all slaves to sin, that we all do bad things that we don't want to do. That's my experience. I have said to my family that I will do good things to them that I really, really, really want to do, and I find that I fail to do that, and I'm sure that that's your experience as well. We're incapable of being consistently good. That's our problem. I mean, we would like to be, but we even fail our own standards. And that kind of shows us that we are therefore slaves to sin in the words of Jesus. We can't even do the things that we want to do for the people that we love, let alone everyone else out there in society. We're slaves to sin. That's the point that Jesus is making. Now being a slave to sin has some serious consequences and that's what we've got to understand. It's explained a little bit later on in the passage or other places in this passage, uh, but let me give it to you in a nutshell. I mean, in one sense, it leads to the disastrous consequences in our world, all the major social problems that we have, the corruption, uh, the crime, uh, not being able to trust people and so on and so forth. Um, That's why we always are watching our backs Uh, locking up our possessions. We can't simply just leave things lying around. Um, And even every now and then when we become complacent about such things, um, it comes out and bites us in, in the backside really hard only to shake us up and remind us that things aren't the way that they should be in this world. Why? Because there is sin, there is evil in the world and it's not just out there, it's in here, in me, in every single one of us. But there's an even greater problem than that, than the societal consequences, the disasters that we find in the world, and it's death. The Bible tells us that death is the judgment of God on sin. And by death we mean not just physical death, which we all will eventually one day die, we know that, but also spiritual death, because after death we have to face God's judgment. There will be hell to pay for our sins, in other words. And Jesus, you see, is coming along to us and saying, I am offering you freedom from the slavery to sin, from the consequences of sin in the future. That's why he says in verse 51, the one who believes in me, the one who keeps my word, will never taste death. He's not talking about physical death, which we still go on to die as Christians, but spiritual death. There will be no hell to pay for those who put their trust in Jesus. Jesus is offering us, in other words, a free ticket to heaven, to his father's house. Now, how does he do it? That's the question. How can he do this? Well, he can do it in verse 36 because, he says, he is the son. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He is the son. He has the power. God's power As the Son of God to set slaves free. And the rest of John's story, uh, he goes on to show that Jesus does this not by denying God's rightful judgment against sin and against us, he does it by satisfying God's righteous judgment against sin. That is why Jesus came to earth in the first place. That's the story of John chapter 1. In other words, the story of the Bible is Jesus, who was purely free, sacrificing his freedom to come to earth to serve us, to be our slaves. He did it by dying on the cross, sacrificing his own life to die for our sins. Right at the start of the Gospel, uh, John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus did right at the end of the gospel as he hung up on the cross. He was taking away the sins of the world. In other words, Jesus took all your sins and my sins and all the sins of the world, put them upon himself, and he took the righteous judgment of God upon himself so that you wouldn't have to. He died that death so that you didn't have to die that death so that you could live. And um, when he's, we imagine him to be hanging on the cross, what we should be really thinking is that should have been me, not him, but he is there and not me so that I can live. And that's not the end of the story either because three days later we're told he rose again powerfully, amazingly from the dead and it shows that Jesus actually does have the power over death, over sin, so that he can set us free from slavery to sin and he can give us uh, the eternal life that he claims. I hope you check these things out for yourselves. But the next question that we want to ask as a result of this is, what does freedom look like? What does the freedom that Jesus offers uh, look like in the here and now? Because uh, what are we free to do because it's not just um, a freedom for later and you don't want to find yourself... Um, uh, free from something only to get into something worse, like a fish jumping out of its fishbowl might think it's free, but only to kind of realise that it's not. Most people's vision, you see, of freedom stops at freedom from. In other words, um, it's all about avoiding the negatives of what we know that we can become slaves to. Um, But we never develop an understanding of what the freedom to might look like. What is it that we're free to do? Um, when I was at uni, uh, the socialist group uh, there was called Resistance, and uh, one of their advocates was trying to tell me uh, what that resistance movement was all about. They were on about resisting the powers and the corrupt institutions that were oppressing us and seeking uh, to give us freedom from all these things. And he made some really good points um, uh, about these things. So I asked him, well, look, um, if you finally get into power, I'd like to know what, what it is... What is your vision for the future? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? What is it that it will look like once you finally um, um, stop resisting? And he he looked at me in a kind of strange way and said, "Um, no, we'll always be resisting because there's always going to be something to resist against. His entire view of freedom was put in the negative and he couldn't imagine the positive. I mean, I think they're still around today trying to resist because they're not getting anywhere. I mean, we can sing, I want to break free, but what is it you want to break free to? Now, interestingly, many people walk away from Christianity or they reject Christianity and they often describe it as uh, uh, being set free from the constraints and the oppression of uh, Christianity because that's their picture of Christianity. Um, they think of Christianity as a set of restrictive rules. You have to do this, you have to do that. Usually it always goes to, I have to go to church every Sunday, I have to do this, I have to do that, and and on and on it goes. But that's a really distorted view of Christianity because what we find here in John chapter 8 is that Jesus came to free us from the rules of religion uh, because the rules of religion say that you must follow these rules otherwise there will be hell to pay. But Jesus is actually saying, No, no, I've come to free you from that hell to pay and from anything that might force you to go down that line. In fact, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, and puts it like this It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, not to become enslaved again to religious rules and institutions but for true freedom. And so Christianity is not about following external constraints of law and that's why we've got to be careful not to allow anyone to reduce Christianity down to a set of rules because it won't work. We'll just become slaves again to the same laws and the same problems that we had before. No, Christianity is about being set free from these external constraints of law and the consequence of those damning laws and being changed internally by God's Spirit so that you desire to follow Jesus and live for Him and seek to please Him. Let me just give you an example um, that I often uh, find um, I'm arguing about with um, uh, some people. Uh, that is that Christians have to go to church. That's the way that they often put it. Um, uh, that's what they think Christianity says, you have to go to church, that's a rule. Uh, but the freedom that Jesus gives us and tells us is, I get to go to church. I get to hang around other Christians and enjoy their, their company. Um, uh, so, uh, or I, I don't have to, have to lie uh, anymore. I get to speak the truth now in love to other people and experience the joy of that kind of a, a society. You see, the Holy Spirit actually, it goes further than just, it's not just about rules, you see, it goes further and changes my perception of God and my relationship uh, to God. Before, the, uh, the main way I thought of God was as a judge who would, who would punish me for the b- bad things and reward me for the good. His acceptance of me was, was really conditional on my being good. But now, because of Jesus, you see, I think of God as my loving Heavenly Father who loves me unconditionally. And there's no accident that these are the kind of categories that God tells us to think about when it comes to to Him as Father. He moves from being the just judge to our loving Heavenly Father. So it's no longer about me having to jump through hoops in order to win God's acceptance and approval. It's now that God loves me anyway, no matter what I do. He tells me. He knew what I was like. He loved me, he sent Jesus to die for me, even though he knew that I would probably still keep on doing uh, bad things. But yet he loves me anyway. That's quite a transformation, isn't it? It's the amazing power of love. It can change a a man who is uh, living up the freedom of singleness, for example, to want to forego his single life and be tied down to the woman he loves, as other people might say. But for him, it's a joy to be able to do that. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus offers us. It's a powerfully transforming freedom. And this kind of freedom is radically liberating because it comes with a much greater perspective. It gives us an eternal perspective and therefore frees us from you know, FOMO, that fear of missing out, because we can't miss out Jesus promises us life to the full, total freedom forever. How can we miss out? We don't. And so that means we have freedom from the intense need, if I can put it like this, to live up, live it up while we can during the short period of time that we know that we have on this earth. Without this freedom that Christ offers us, we, I think, would pursue a limited freedom because we've got this very limited time to satisfy, if I can put it like this, our vast desires. And I get very frustrated if I think about that because I've only got a short time and all my desires are massive. So we try to do what we want when we can, as often as we can, as long as we can get away with it in the here and now. And it frustrates us that our own desire to uh, to be free actually doesn't work properly in society. It actually encroaches on others and is limited by others. I think that uh that song of Queen I was um uh, looking at the lyrics uh the other day it really captures it for us because he sings there I want to break free and he's talking about a relationship that he has with this woman he says I want I don't want to be restricted by this relationship with this woman uh but I'm in love and I like us sharing our love so I don't want to be alone I want to be with her but then I I want to break free, I don't want to be restricted and and the tension goes on. I can't get what I want ultimately in the end because I want to be free, but it doesn't work when it comes to other people. It just fails in the pursuit um, uh, of what he ultimately really wants. It's typical, I think, of the frustrating pursuit of freedom that the world chases after because it's not true freedom. And we can all see it, what a mess we have in the world all around us because we're all running out there trying to do what we want to do without a care for how disastrously it might affect uh, other people around us and even our environment. I want to be free of God telling me what to do. I want to be free of other people telling me what to do. I just want to pursue what I want, personal autonomy. my Me calling the shots and... Um, uh, is what I desire and I would really love it if you towed the line with that and kind of followed my lead here on this one and you too got in behind me and wanted to fulfill my desires. But what I discover is, no, 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 when I run into you, you also have your own personal desires and you want to call the shots and there's a major clash that goes on there. And with 7 billion people all running around trying to do that kind of thing, it's no wonder that the world is in the way it is the mess that it is. We have really made a a right royal hash of the whole thing. When I want to do what I want to do, well, then it can go disastrously wrong. And I don't think we need the Me Too movement to kind of remind us of those things, but it does remind us of that, that when people have the permission to do what they want, well, it really can infringe on the freedom of others. Jesus offers us a true freedom that frees us from the power of my evil desires, now, the sin uh, the the Bible calls that pursuit of personal autonomy, sin, and so Jesus is actually offering us freedom from sin, freedom from the effects of sin, from the suffering, the brokenness, the death, the fear, the judgment, the limitation of time, but more than that, he frees me to live as a child of God as part of his family, living for something, with purpose and hope. And it's a radical freedom that the world finds difficult to comprehend because it frees us from the need to please self and to live for others so that we can choose to do what we necessarily don't want to do uh, and don't like uh, to do um, uh, because I know that I'm not going to miss out. It empowers us to love others and to do things that benefit others, uh, even if it comes with personal restrictions and personal costs to ourselves. It's a freedom that enables us, in other words, to sacrifice ourselves for others and even go so far as to be slaves for others. That's why Christians all over the world have pursued uh, and sacrifice their own freedoms in order to pursue the freedom of other people, setting up schools, setting up orphanages all around uh, the world. They've they fought for the freedom, uh, the abolition of, of slavery. They've done lots of things. Why would they do that if they've got just a short time in order to live it up on this earth? You, you wouldn't imagine them. But it's a, de- it's a freedom, you see, we see demonstrated so clearly in the one who was perfectly free and who became a slave in order to free others, uh, our Lord Jesus, and that's why we seek to imitate him. But remember what happened to Jesus. He rose again, and now he lives as Lord of all. And that is our future too, because the Bible tells us that if we believe in him, hold on to his word, we will reign forever with him in this perfectly... Uh, wonderful world free from sin where all desires will be fully satisfied. This is the freedom that Jesus offers us. Don't you want to be free, to be truly free? Now, I hope you can see that there are some extraordinary claims that Jesus is making here uh, and you would want to be sure about them. So in the very least, what I'm encouraging you to do is to investigate these claims, make sure that they are true you're going to find lots of people around here who really do believe these claims of Jesus and they would love nothing more than to help you investigate the claims. So talk to the people around you who may have brought you and ask them to help you uh, investigate these, these claims of, of Jesus. But I suspect that there may be some people here who, who know enough and are in a position to accept the freedom uh, that Jesus offers. And if that's you, then I'm going to pray uh, a prayer, a short prayer, that I invite you to follow on with me Um, repeat it in the quietness of your own heart. It's a prayer that basically says, Jesus, I believe uh, what you say. I know that I am a slave to sin. I want to be free. Thank you for this offer of freedom. Please forgive me and change me so that I can live the free life that you offer me. Do you want to pray that prayer? Do you want the freedom that Jesus offers? Then pray with me now. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I've been a slave to sin. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me that new free life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler